Boy, God is good, isn't he? Thank you for being here today to worship. It's a delight to be here with you. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come before you humbly. We come before you expecting for your word to speak to us clearly. And so, our Father, we give you the next moment in time to hear what your word has for us to know, to change us, to transform us and renew our minds. Lord, we ask this. We ask for your spirit to rule and reign in us. Fill us, O God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. On September 11, 2001, many of you were not alive. Many of you were. And you will never forget what you saw that day. And it was our country under attack. I'll never forget hearing the second plane had hit the second tower and and understanding that this was not an accident. And then for hours or what seemed for hours, you watch those buildings literally melt. Icons in the skyline of one of our biggest and most famous cities were melting and collapsing to the ground. It's my understanding that one of those planes may have been headed toward even our nation's capital and the White House. Imagine, just imagine for a moment, if you will with me, had that plane hit the White House and our nation's capital there in flames, smoking, and a symbol of victory for the opponent. Flashback to AD 70. You're a Jew this time. And, and there is your place of worship on fire, melting to the ground because the Romans have quelled your revolt. And everything that you trusted and believed in as a, a place where you could meet God was burning and smoking and melting. To the ground. Your pride, your joy, your identity as a Jew is right there on top of the mountain, smoking while your heart dies. What must it have been as a first century Jew to see the defeat that Rome had brought to the nation of Israel? What humiliation it must have brought to the mind of those who had invested their lives into the symbol of their God. Imagine the loss. Imagine the mourning. 
you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to 2 Samuel. We've walked through the scripture. Uh, we have walked through a, a reoccurring uh, story, and we've described it uh, with four words. And uh, the first word is, is what? Creation. Creation. God created heaven and earth. He populated heaven and earth, and he put mankind there. And mankind, in turn, on the, in the third chapter of Genesis, what did mankind do? Mankind fell. Mankind chose to rebel against God and choose his and her own way of life and own authority. And, and in doing so, released all sorts of evil. Destruction and demise into our world. But God did not leave humanity there. But God brought redemption. Our third word. He brought redemption to the world. And he began to work out a plan of redemption right there in Genesis chapter 3. Prophesying that one would come to crush the head of the deceiver. And he laid it out in chapter 12 of Genesis and chapter 15 of Genesis. And we watched it as he he brought his story of redemption. And we've watched it. And, And a few weeks ago, we saw the kingdom now prophesied that not only would he redeem a people, but he would transform them from one kingdom into another. And we sang the song this morning. He's opened our eyes. He's brought us from darkness into light. From death unto life. We now, Christian, you now, Christian, are born again into a living hope. First Peter chapter 1. You are now in Christ, in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. What we look at today is... The one who would build the symbol of heaven on earth. We look at the symbol that has been given to us. This temple. A place where the presence of God is realized. A place where the presence of God is made known to those who would seek his face. And it is a building where heaven meets earth. It is the temple. 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. This is the Lord speaking to David. We're flashing back here in our reading. But the Lord says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom He shall build what church? A house. And I want you to not miss the words. Okay. He will build what church? Keep going. Okay. He will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. A house is coming for the name, for a kingdom. Got it? A house is coming for the name, 
for the kingdom. And his name will be known through the house. And the kingdom will be shown through the house. Move forward to 1 Kings chapter 7. David supplies and stock supplies all of these things for his son to be able to build the house. David was told, you can't build my house. You've shed too much blood. Your son will build the house and so does he. Solomon comes on the scene in 1 Kings chapter 7. Thus all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought the things that David his father had directed. I'm sorry, had dedicated the silver, the gold, the vessels, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. We'll continue into chapter 8. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the father's houses, and the people of Israel. Before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast and the mouth of Ethanim, which is in the seventh month. And all of the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting and the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up to the temple. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were there, were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant into the of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim to verse 10 and when the priest came out of the holy place a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for what church the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Well, the first thing was that the house of the Lord is for the name of the Lord to proclaim the kingdom of the Lord. The house of the Lord is for the name of the Lord to reside in to proclaim the kingdom of the Lord. We saw that. Second thing I want you to see is this. The house of the Lord, the temple of God. Is to bear the presence of God. God's shining approval on, on building this temple was that his cloud of glory filled the temple. And that his presence would dwell there. This is massively significant. God said, I approve of this that you have built. I approve of what the, the, the temple is and I will dwell in the midst of her. You'll see why this is so important. God's approval was on the temple and his presence dwelt therein. Y'all with me? Yeah. All right. What happens next in the story? And watch. We're going to read this narrative of what happened with Solomon. And then we're going to get to what it all means. So, so bear with me while we walk through this narrative. This is so rich. 1 Kings eight twenty seven. 
But God will indeed dwell on the earth. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. This is Solomon's prayer as he's dedicating the temple. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, O God. How much less this house that I have built. It's not a cage for you, Lord. It is a place for you to reveal and show your presence and to share your presence with your people. Y'all got that? The temple is a place for God to share his presence with his people. It is heaven on earth. Verse 28. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord, my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day. O God, that your eyes may open, be open night and day toward this house. The place where you have said, my name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive me. Did you hear a word over and over? It starts with an L. Listen. The temple is a place where God listens to his people. It is a place for prayer. In fact, we'll look at it in a moment. But Jesus called the temple a house of prayer. The temple is where God shares his presence with his people and hears and listens to them. It is relationship that God has, that the Lord has with his people. Verse 29, it's a place for his name. We looked at that. Verse 29, it's a place for prayer. Verse 30, we just read, it is a place that facilitates forgiveness. It's a place that facilitates forgiveness. Look right there at the very end. When you hear, what's he asking for them to do? The temple is a place where forgiveness is proclaimed. What happened at the temple? Do you know? They had articles of furniture, if you will, in the temple. There were two of them that were intended to be a a direct communication between God and man. One of them was the altar of incense in which... Prayers of the saints were lifted up symbolically unto God. He heard the prayers. The other was what? The altar, the brazen altar, the bronze altar. The brazen altar where where the animals were sacrificed. And, And why, tell me, why were animals sacrificed day by day by day by year by year before God? For the what? For the forgiveness of sin. Atonement, that we might be right with God because forgiveness comes. The temple of God is to be a place of forgiveness. Remember that. The temple of God is to be a place where forgiveness is communicated. I continue in chapter 8, look in verse 33. We're going to continue this idea of the temple is a place that unites a holy God with sinful man. Y'all with me? 
The temple is a place that unites a holy God with sinful man. You're going to see where we get when we get to the end here. Chapter 8, verse 33. When your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you. And they turn again to you and they acknowledge your name. And they pray and they plead with you in this house, in the temple. Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel. And bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. Verse 35. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. If they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin. When you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of their servants. Your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon their head, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. The temple is a place that unites a holy, flawless God set apart with sinful man because there is sacrifice that is made. What's more? Look at Psalm 84 with me. I read this one earlier. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh. What do they do, church? What what do they do, church? They sing for joy to the living God. At the temple. There is singing. There is joy. Even the sparrow finds a home. The swallow finds a nest. It is a place of home. It is a place of welcome. The Lord is drawing people to the temple for fellowship. Keep that in mind. The Lord is drawing people into fellowship. Even the sparrow and the swallow may come. Verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Christian, is that you? Are you ever singing God's praise? I hope so. I hope you've seen his redemption and you ever sing his praise. Psalm 84 verse 1. It is a lovely place. How lovely is your dwelling place? It's a place of delight. Are y'all glad to be here this morning? Look, I come to church. I am glad to be in the house of God because the spirit of God is here. He dwells with us. There is worship. There is joy. There is delight. I see people Lifting their hands in prayer, singing songs of praise, bowing holy hands and heads in prayer to their God. What a joy. It's a delight. How lovely is your dwelling place, oh God. It's a place of welcome, of home. It's a place for singing and joy. All there, right there in Psalm 84. Let's keep going. First Kings chapter 9. We're walking through. As soon as Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house. The Lord sets apart his temple as a holy place. Are you with me? God sets it apart. He consecrates it. He sets it apart as special. God's temple is a special place. By putting my name there 
forever. God sets it apart. And how does he set it apart? By doing what? How does he set apart the temple? By putting his name there forever. God's temple is set apart because his name is on it. Y'all with me? It's going to make sense. Verse 4. And as for you, you will walk before me. As David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules. There is a holiness, there is an obedience that comes in God's temple. Now, let me read that one more time. Verse 4. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. Let me give you another thought here. When the people of God claim the name of God, but disobey, but disobey the will of God, it draws the ire of God. When the people of God claim the name of God, but they disobey the will of God, it draws the ire of God. Now, the rest of that passage speaks about how God will bring curses. And we saw it earlier with Solomon when people turn away and, and you, you bring famine or bring enemies to the land because of disobedience. So remember, when the people of God claim the name of God but disobey the will of God, it draws the ire of God. There is an expectation that people who are called by the name of God are going to be obedient to the will of God. Christian, are you hearing that? If you are calling yourself under the name of God and claiming the name of Jesus and disobey the will of God, it, it draws the ire, it grieves the spirit, as Paul writes in the New Testament. Let's continue. Moving to 2 Chronicles, parallel book here. Y'all heard this verse a lot, probably in your life, maybe sometimes accurately explained. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord. In his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place as a house of what? The temple of the Lord is a house of what? Of sacrifice. Y'all got that? It's a house of sacrifice. Verse 13, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. Or command the locusts to devour the land. Or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. The Lord is listening. The Lord is attentive. And if there is disobedience, the ire of God is drawn to that place. All right. Y'all with me? Temple of God. Pretty important place, right? The center, the heart of Jewish, of Jewish worship for a thousand years. Solomon builds it. 
Now, he's around uh, a thousand years B.C., a little bit more. And, and then it's destroyed. And then it's rebuilt again by Ezra and Nehemiah. And then Herod um, updates it. And then you have 0 A.D.-ish when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, shows up on the scenes. Or on the scene. He's not in Solomon's temple. He sees what they called Herod's temple, but it was Ezra and Nehemiah's temple. And he lives among all of those who make their living in this temple. Doing all of the things that we've just read. God's presence is here. The articles are there. Worship is happening here. People are praying toward the temple. Forgiveness is wrought. Sacrifice is made. His name is upon this place. It's been set apart. It's been consecrated. We've read all of these things. And Jesus shows up. And in Matthew chapter 21. And Jesus entered what church? All right. Y'all are with me. And Jesus entered the temple. And what did he do? As Jeff would say it, what are you doing? Why are you doing these things? And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called what church? A house of prayer. But you have made it a what? Robbers. You have fostered theft and robbery and deceit in the place that is intended to be a place of prayer, a place of delight, a place of joy, a place of singing, a place for God's name has been diminished and tarnished into a place of robbery. But look at verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him. Where? In the temple. And what did Jesus do? All right. The temple is a place where heaven meets earth. The temple is a place where God's presence is brought into the presence of sinful man. And there's an overlap, if you will. The temple is a place where God's grace is bestowed, communicated, revealed. To those who are desperately in need of God's grace. Let me read that verse again. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The temple is a place of healing. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying out in the temple. Hosanna to the son of David. The chief priests and scribes were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I hear. That's good stuff. Have you never read out of the mouths of babes and infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? It is a place. The temple is a place to praise God. 
when the people of God claim the name of God, but disobey the will of God, it draws the what? The ire of God. There's a reason Jesus had a whip. There's a reason Jesus flipped tables. When the people of God claim the name of God, but disobey the will of God, it draws the ire of God. So, y'all still with me? We still got a couple minutes left. It's good. Matthew 21. And leaving them, Jesus, and leaving them, he went out to the city of Bethany and lodged there. And in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered. At once. That's odd. Jesus getting mad at trees. It's not about a tree, y'all. It's not about a tree. If you've read the Bible, you know that the fig tree often represents the nation of Israel. Let me read that one more time for you. And Jesus said to it, may no fruit ever come from you. Again, when the people of God claim the name of God and disobey the will of God, they draw the ire of God. Let me keep reading. Then Jesus came and and he makes this. He, he we skip the chapters where he curses. The seven woes that you're familiar with. He, Woe to you, blind scribes. You strain at a gnat and try to swallow a camel. Woe to you. You tithe these things, but you don't give mercy and justice. Woe to you. Woe to you. The ire of Jesus was upon them. And, and then Jesus walks away. And, and he walks out of the temple, if you will. Okay? Jesus walks away from the temple. And says these words, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have welcomed, I mean, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See? Watch this, y'all. Watch. See, your house is left to you what? It's desolate. Your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again. This is big. You know who Jesus is. This is big. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse 1 of the next chapter. There are no chapter divisions back then. Just remember. Jesus left the temple And was going away. And his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. And he said, you see all these? 
Do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here, what? One stone upon another that will not be thrown down. This building is over. Jesus curses the fig tree. Jesus curses the courtyards of the temple. Jesus curses all of the leaders who are in the temple. And Jesus throws his lament. I would have welcomed you, but you were not willing. He closes the doors as it were behind him and walks out. Why? This is God's house. This is the place where all of those things, his name was on it. Forgiveness is there. Worship is there. Singing is there. Joy is there. The kingdom is proclaimed there. Why? Church, you know history. You know that within 40 years, the temple would be raised. It would be on fire and Rome would scoff and laugh and say, look who we are. Who are these people who think they can mess with Rome? Why? Is God defeated? Has God been defeated by the Roman Empire? Has worship been quelled? Is God dead? Isaiah 56, verse 6, where Jesus quoted, listen to this, y'all, listen. This Old, Old Testament, Old Testament, it may surprise you, but this is the Old Testament, right? And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, foreigners, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, and he who holds fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer. Help me out, church. For all peoples. We celebrated the Lord's Supper this morning. We celebrated the new covenant. Let me get you to the punchline, church. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? Let me read that again. Do you not know that, that what? That you. That you are God's temple. You are God's temple. Oh, you didn't hear that one? I'll get you. First Corinthians chapter six says the same thing. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of what? The Holy Spirit who lives in in you. There is no building anymore. The old covenant is gone. It is finished, Jesus said. You are the temple. You are the new temple. God's spirit dwells in you. There is no box that sits in the Holy of Holies with poles on it anymore. It is in you, the Spirit of God. The place where God dwells is now in you. The place where forgiveness is proclaimed is where? Help me out, church. 
I didn't hear you. The place where forgiveness is proclaimed is in? It's in you. The place where joy happens is where? Christian, it's in you. The place where worship now takes place is where? It's in you. The place where sacrifice now happens is where? It's in you. The place where people, the kingdom is proclaimed is where, church? The place that's lovely because God is dwelling there is where, church? The place of prayer is where now, church? The place that God's name is upon, that is identified as, as who is God, is where, church? It's in you. The place that facilitates forgiveness to others is where, church? The place where the, the nations can come now, where all peoples can now dwell with God is where? It's in you. The temple is a shadow of God's primary and future fulfillment, which was in us today. Creation, fall, redemption, kingdom. The kingdom of God is in you. Jesus said it has come. It is in you now. So what does that mean? That means you are a place of praise. That means you are a place in which the nations need to come to see who God is and what his presence is like. Christian, you take the spirit of God when you leave this building to your office, to your school, to your softball team. You are the presence of God that walks out of here. And you say, look, I don't have to bring you to a building for you to see God. I bring the building to you because I'm the building. And I show you the presence of God. I show you what forgiveness looks like. I show you what righteousness looks like. I show you what godliness looks like. I show you what holiness is because it's in me. Christian, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And who is the Holy Spirit? He is God's presence with us today. And what does he do? The Bible is very clear. He bears fruit in you. The Spirit's job is to draw people to Jesus and to draw you to Jesus. And how does he do that? Love. They will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our. Yes, temple. That's how. Joy. We read that. Peace, love, joy, peace. Christian, do you have peace in the midst of the crazy things that are going on around us every day? I have peace. I have a firm foundation of God's morality, of God's rule and reign that I don't have to change. I just trust God and be obedient. Love, joy, peace, patience, Christian Patience is what proclaims God to people who have none. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do you know somebody loves God? Because they're under control. They're not crazy. They're not out of control. The picture of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is that you have control. And it's spiritual control over who you are. You're not 
crazy. You are reined in by the power of God. Christian, you are the temple. So what's the application for today is go, go be the presence of God somewhere. Go, go be the presence of God. Do it. You don't have to take anybody halfway around the world to see the temple of God. All you have to do is show up. And say, this is who Christ is. Oh, you want to know about, about God? Let me tell you about his son, Jesus Christ. He's the fulfillment of everything. The Bible said he died. In fact, he, greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for, for his brother. He laid down his life for me and for you. Jesus Christ died to save sinners who will repent. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. Christian, you know the Spirit of God is in you. You know. You know. If you don't know the Spirit of God is in you, maybe you need to do business and you need to repent of your sin and you need to bow your face before the Lord and say, Father, forgive me in Jesus' name, forgive me. I need to repent of my sin and come to you and live under your rule and your reign, and your leadership, your authority in my life. Maybe you need to do that today. Christian, if you know God and the Spirit is in you, it is our job to take it out, to, to take him out of here and proclaim him in all that we do. Don't not be the presence of God wherever you are. Don't be shouted down by louder voices. Y'all know what the scripture says. It says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Be the spirit of God to everyone. Christian, you have a job. Let's go do it. Let's do it together. Take him to campus. Evan. Take him to the plant, Craig. Take him to the turnaround, Stephen. Take him home, Lynette. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us your spirit. We trust you. We love you. Work in us. We humble ourselves before you. Have your own way in us, Lord. Have thine own way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.